0: The CFR and E Mini Futures Cast is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phones, Blackberry, and WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your App Store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. You're listening to CFRN, a community of believers who trade for a living. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, call toll-free 1-866-928-3310 and we'll send you out a no-obligation information kit absolutely free, 866-928-3310. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. Today
1: is Friday, second day of August, 2013. You're listening to edition or episode number four of Releasing Kings with myself and with author John Garfield, author of the book Releasing Kings for Ministry in the Marketplace. John, good afternoon to you. And welcome to the show. Hi, Dwayne. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a great Friday, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, in the middle of summer, August, when it should be 147. It, I don't even think it's over 100 degrees today. I'm looking out my windows from upstairs. It's sort of a beautiful, overcast, cloudy kind of a day like you might find, I don't know, in the Midwest or heaven. It's, uh, <laughs> just kind of beautiful. So, What's going on? I bet it's raining where you're at, right? We're at, we're having a cool day. It's
2: not uh, raining. It was no rain. Yeah. It rains a lot there, though, right? Not in our part of the state. We only get seven inches of rain in the year. In a year, it's uh, in fact, it looks a little bit like Arizona right where I'm at. <laughs>
1: well,
2: we got seven inches
1: of rain in the '90s. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. We get uh, like an inch a year. I, I think a, an inch, maybe an inch and really? a half a year. Yeah, no. it's not much. <laughs> It doesn't take it doesn't take a lot to grow a cactus. They're no, pretty uh, <laughs> they're pretty hardy. So, <laughs> so, what what's going on in your life this week? Any any news? Any events? Anything big?
2: Uh, Frank Frank is Frank? doing uh, fairly well. Apparently, caught a little bit of a break in the surgery. At least it could have been worse.
1: You know, i I've, I've still yet to nail down a few minutes to talk privately with him. Uh, and i hope to do that later today or i'll catch you tomorrow morning cuz things will be quiet for me and mm. probably for him as well uh but yeah to hear uh the vim and the vigor in his voice today uh that was awesome really was hospitals have a way of really taking their their toll on people sometimes uh well um uh, I mean, you're surrounded by sick people, and right. so I can take a toll on you not only physically but emotionally and, and mentally. My brother went through a bout with uh, colon cancer here a couple of years ago. Uh, after his surgery and all was complete, they, they put him in a nursing home and kind of forgot about him it seems like for, I don't know, almost a year. Uh, no way he should have been in there for that long, but he did He didn't have so much. He didn't. His life was in a little bit of a, a downward spiral before he got sick. The sick was a wake up call, and, a, and a, God amazingly turned it into a blessing for him. We, we talked about that last week. All things work together for the good of those that are called. And uh, my brother was living a, an existence that. Uh, well, he was. He was uh intentionally homeless and, uh, just things weren't going well. He woke up one morning with a pain in his stomach, uh, and he took a bus, a city bus to the hospital, the emergency room. And, uh, next thing you know, uh, before five that afternoon, he's laid out on the table having, uh, some of the most incredibly major surgery you can even imagine, so he's in the hospital off and on for weeks, and then he went through a whole uh, round of uh, the chemo and the radiation, and then more surgery, and then they put him in the, in the nursing home. Wow. And once he was in the nursing home, he just couldn't seem to get better. And I would go to visit him, and uh, there's such an air of oppression there yeah. and depression, and I, I kept telling him, I was like, Brother, if You don't get up and get out of this place. I think you're just gonna lose your will and and but again, God knows how to work things. He ends up (laughs) this sounds like something out of a movie. He ends up meeting a woman in the nursing home and uh (laughs) reasonable. Yeah. He meets a woman in the nursing home, he gets out, straightens his life up, uh not drinking anymore. He's really doing good. And uh, lo and behold, if they don't end up getting, she gets out of the nursing home. They get married, and now they're living out their life together. Uh, and uh, it's not, it's not a picture perfect existence, <laughs> but it's 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 sure better for him than what it was before when he woke yeah. up that morning under the freeway overpass <laughs> with uh, with a pain in his stomach. Yeah. Now nobody would want to have to go through all of that to get, but you know sometimes God will go to extreme measure, measures to get our attention.
2: Yeah.
1: Now they're you part of a little, a little church now. I mean, yeah. people came knocking on doors, and it was a neighborhood church, and so they come and get them every Sunday morning and take them, and they're involved. And you know, I think my brother's an usher, and. Uh, yeah. And and they sponsored their wedding. They let them have their wedding there. And and they insisted, in fact, because I have a church downtown. I could have had his wedding. But these folks, uh, little small strip mall church, but they really wanted to do it. And I mean, they – and my brother had no money to pay for this. And they didn't ask me for any money. They put this thing on like he was some kind of royalty. Well, and he is. He's a a child of the king. So he is royalty. And he's my brother. But, I mean, I've never seen a church – do for him in the way that they did, and expect just absolutely nothing in return. And this yeah. isn't a church with you know deep pocket resources. Like right. I said, it's a it's a strip center center church, but just great people, salt of the earth. What an honor it was to meet them and to get to know them.
2: It really was. Yeah, cool. It's a great story.
1: <laughs> Nick, you were getting ready to, to say something there, and I cut you off as I, as I do. So go ahead.
2: I, I just think that, you know one of the themes. I, I've been noticing this week in particular, and uh, and also I guess last weekend I went to a Herald Liberty conference, so I, I uh, get a little contaminated every time I do that.
1: You know, I tried to tune in to that link you sent me. I went and ran and grabbed my iPad, and it said uh, it was rendering the feed or something, I thought, and then when I clicked back in, it says the live event you wanted to attend is over. So is there a link? Now is it is it online you can go back and watch it? I
2: I haven't checked. I don't I'm okay. not sure that there is. Uh, Dwayne, but so tell me where was the conference uh, and what it was, was it all about? It was okay. in Yakima. It's Harold's hometown. in uh, the Church there in Yakima.
1: So can a prophet in his own town get any respect?
2: Uh, not usually, but no. Harold most of the people were from out of town. <laughs> oh, okay. So
1: that's, a thing. so that's how you do it. You how, ship them in from That's out of how you town. skin that cat. Yeah, you all, right.
2: all your friends from out of town come <laughs> for a weekend. Then they have to go back after it's over. <laughs> so what was the thing? He, I, I don't know that there was uh, a theme. He went through uh, you know, an emphasis on the kingdom, probably similar to what uh, he ministered in your church. Uh, one night and uh,
1: was it the four levels yeah yeah okay yeah that was powerful
2: it really yeah, was it was and uh, so you know I, I just see that same theme you know like everywhere I everywhere I turn like in the example of your brother you know what puts life back into him is you know having a vision for his future having uh, you know it, be connected with his own heart and uh, having a, having a reason to live, and I, you know, I just see a lot of what would normally be classified as pretty healthy Christians, with um, you know, no nothing really exciting to live for. You know, there's there's job and family and blah blah blah, but uh, you know, that I just see a, an opportunity for for believers to really connect with the. You know, a, a kingdom destiny, if you will. And uh, I, I think that's the goal. When you think about, you know, why, well, how come we don't have that? Well, we're coming from a, you know, a culture where, uh, you know, we didn't think we were supposed to. <laughs> you know, the idea of pursuing your heart's desire, you know, was, uh, you know, considered, you know, almost sinful. And I guess it officially was sinful, at, you know, certainly. Points. I thought it was for part of my spiritual walk.
1: Now, say again, what was was sinful?
2: Just the the whole concept of of uh, pursuing your heart's desire. I mean, that that was normally in the category of being selfish or carnal or self centered or you know whatever.
1: Okay, all right, I follow you. Yeah, that's that's true.
2: Yeah. So. I I also watched uh, with interest the uh, the video that uh, you know the TED video that uh, you recommended and uh, you know I like that concept so we can chat about that for a while if uh, you want to yeah I would
1: love yeah I would love to Uh, what what was your what was your thoughts on that video and had you ever thought about uh, charities and charitable giving in that in that manner.
2: You know, yes and no. Um, I, I think that that's the second best way to do it. <laughs> okay. I, I don't. I don't have a problem with any of that. I think it's a you know a lot better than a donut sale, like he was talking about. But uh, you know, the, he, I think he mentioned Coke or you know somebody inventing uh, you know the Xbox and making millions or whatever. I think mm-hmm. the same concept of uh, you know uh, an individual believer connecting with their own heart's desires and and you know when those desires are legitimately also in the heart of God you know you understand that concept this when when we really connect with the with the, the will of God for us in our mm-hmm. sphere or our metron we also if if we do it right we're also connecting with something that's really on the father's heart Right, so the the um, I think the same thing is true for um, a corporation or you know large or small, uh, even C F R M. That there's there's a calling on a company, and that you know we can as the CEO of a company or as the board or whatever. I I think the first you know the The uh, the dirt on capitalism is that everything is done for profit, okay? And that's purported to be evil. I I don't think being profitable is very evil, but there really is a a second purpose, and that is, you know, what's what are you going to use the profit for? I mean, what's the purpose behind the corporation? What's the vision behind the company? If you imagine, you know, a, a Corporation, no matter how large, what's the what's the kingdom calling behind that company? <clears throat> and if you find that and leverage it, uh, you can do a, all kinds of things. You know, so I see people like Bill Gates, you know, having a foundation with millions and millions, I guess billions of dollars. I'm not sure. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal. Um, well,
1: he's got all of right. his money, and then uh, uh, Warren Buffett gate yeah.
2: because
1: because Warren. Uh, saw that bill was really good at at what he was doing as far as yeah. administrating all of yeah. these charitable organizations so uh warren being a smart guy says look here just take some of my rather than me try to duplicate your efforts you're doing such a great job and i i believe in your vision here just take some of my billions and use them too and then you can do even more
2: yeah and you know what i see is you know now we you know, credited these two guys with investing billions into worthy causes, which is great. Mm-hmm. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I just wondered, you know, <clears throat> why, why, you know, two people that were really good at uh, creating products and services would all of a sudden, you know, start, you know, giving money away. Why not, you know, s- stick with what you're good at and and leverage the company to instead of carving out a big chunk of money to give away uh... why not make that part of the vision of your company you know what if uh... instead of just software and computers you know what if microsoft part of microsoft vision was you know whatever you know aids or i don't know what all he's after uh, right now a variety of things but what if that was you know just part of the vision of the company in the reality is around the world that social the term is social responsibility I mean companies are being invited to support um, you know needs in the in society uh, but the but the attitude is still well this is this is giving and this is business and I, you know I think the the higher road is what's the kingdom calling on the business and, and instead of calling it you know, giving instead of giving it to a 501 C three. Uh I mean a company might have a sub 501 C three. I'm nothing against 501 3Cs, don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, you know, why not build that right into the vision of the company? Uh you know, instead of thinking of it, you know, like the clergy laity gap or the you know, the uh, you know, some of us are in the ministry and some of us aren't. What if we thought of companies as having a ministry, and instead of inviting them to give two percent of their profits, what if we, what if we invited them to, uh, you know, give as much of their profits as they wanted to to the cause of their company or the calling of their company? You know, wouldn't twenty uh, percent or fifty percent be better than two percent?
0: Well, and, uh, it would.
2: You know, <laughs> so,
1: no uh, doubt about that. Of course, you run into the issues of taxation, and you're only allowed to the maximum you can give and write it off. And, and, and again, a, a person doesn't necessarily have to write something off, and, yeah. and that shouldn't be the motivation for giving. In fact, when I first started at 37, when my life did the turnabout, and I began to actually give... I felt guilty about taking the tax deductions. I, I felt a certain amount of guilt about writing it off. And I, I felt mm-hmm. as though I wasn't being as pure as I could be. And my lovely Jewish accountant, uh, Bunny Bud, what, what, what a wonderful work, what a wonderful piece of God's uh art piece of art piece of work bunny i know you're listening to me from up above there and you know i love you on she was like this jewish mother grandmother that we hear about read about see in movies and perhaps mm-hmm. if you're listening to this broadcast and you're jewish you know exactly what mm-hmm. i'm talking about but i used to love to tell how uh my savior's a jew and uh that rattles some people right there <laughs> so my savior's a jew and uh my accountant's a jew <laughs> i got I got it going on here man i'm i 'm <laughs> saved i'm saved on a number of different levels yeah. but she sat down and showed me that <clears throat> Wayne, if you take these deductions that you're entitled to by law, it frees up more money to give away. you can yeah. actually give more by doing this
2: yeah
1: and once she pointed it out like that because I guess I was trying to hold on to that scripture where it says. When you're doing your giving, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing, that if you get your accolades before man, well, then yeah. you've got what you're going to get, yeah. and so you can either get your reward from man, or you can get your reward from God, and in my heart, I knew that I wanted to get my reward from God, you know, when I, yeah, and in, in the, in the great by and by, but I've come to the realization that you, you know, that I've learned so much over the years that. Your rewards don't have to be put on hold until the great by and by. Those rewards can begin. You can begin right. to walk in that right here, right now, today. Right. And that by all means, uh, earlier today on the radio show, I was talking about whether I disagree with our current administration and president or not. It's not even doesn't even matter if I disagree or even if I don't really like him. But I am called to support him, to pray for him. Because he is placed in a position of authority over me. And so as I learned to take this government that I'm living under and all of the things that are built into it, this bloated tax code and the structure, I had someone on my team now who could understand it and unravel it and, and, and put it to work for us instead of against us. We always think of this tax code as – and it is pretty horrific and pretty horrendous. And I really do think – We'd all be better served if it was rewritten and simplified and there was just like a national sales tax or something. But, yeah, I guess we could dream. But but she taught me how that was okay, uh, the giving. So your your point about companies giving 20% or 30% and that being part of their core uh, mission statement, like when you go to a website for a company not a 501c3, but just a for-profit company, and you read their mission statement, it's what you're saying, John, is that in that mission statement, it would say right there, 20% of our revenues will go to AIDS research or breast cancer research. Is that what you're, you're
2: saying and suggesting? Well, take it a step farther. Yeah, yes and no. Uh, okay. I mean, well, let's go back to the Microsoft example. I mean, they could—they they wouldn't have to give money away to AIDS research. They could buy that function and own it. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, well, so how I'm saying so. the concept of tax deductions for giving still invites us to take a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. shove it across the table to somebody else, and get back to our business. Okay. And I'm, what I'm suggesting is that. Um, Why not, you know, sit back and decide what what is really what excites us from the standpoint of what's in our own heart, what's in the heart of that company, you know, as a as a board or as a group of employees, uh, and and as a CEO, what what is it that we would would like to do, you know, that we really want to do, and ask that question and go do that, and you know, take. Forget about the tax deductions and forget about giving for the moment, and uh, just say, you know, if you could, if you could do something while you're on this earth that uh, you would really enjoy, and and that would really be exciting to you, what would that be? And and why not go do it? Why why not leverage the the company to embrace that as part of the vision um, of the of the company? You know why why focus just on a, you know, quote unquote, secular vision, and then shove two percent of the money across the table for something that's quote unquote worthwhile. You know, why have that separation? Is my question. You know, I, I just think, and to all the all the way from corporations down to individuals. You know, why, uh, why not, uh, you know, vocationally? Why not? Why not spend my life doing something that's connected with the kingdom? Now i got to redefine kingdom. I mean, people normally think of that as church and foreign missions. And uh, what what if we think of kingdom in terms of you know those seven mountains? And uh, what, what if we took credit for having good politicians instead of bad ones? And uh, you know, wouldn't that be a legitimate kingdom investment? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, 10% of our our problem, you know, what, what I think the stat you mentioned on the video videos, you know, we do have 10% in, in sort of a poverty level and, and we do need to do something to help them out. What about the 90%? You know, it, the other way to skin that cat is if we can get the 90% really connected with their heart and vision so that... You know, they uh, they really connect with their kingdom calling. That they'll uh, they can take care of ten percent pretty easy. It's just that that's not their vision. So then we come along with a five hundred one c three and we say to people, "You should care about this. You know, you you should give your money." And you know, I'm I'm saying that we're dividing people when we do that. I mean, it's just like a church offering. Why not? Define what you're really excited about. I mean, you have some interest in Africa and orphanages, and you know uh, some other things that you know we haven't all talked about. Everything you're interested in, mm-hmm. but nobody's holding a gun to your head saying you got to do this, right? I mean, there's something in the Dwayne that says I, li- I enjoy doing this. I, I like doing this, <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's the key. See, it's, if we can. If we can tap into, to especially someone that's entrepreneurial, I always hate to see someone that's really talented in business take money away and give it to somebody in a 501c3 that, that can't handle money at all. You know, we, we need, and that was part of the point in the video. I mean, we should uh, take on these initiatives and be entrepreneurial. And, and be good stewards of both the money and the vision <clears throat> and to me that's what being entrepreneurial is all about and uh, you know I think that's the genius of capitalism is that at, at its very foundation it's a biblical concept that allows people to pursue their dream and as a result they prosper as a consequence they, they first they identify a passion or a dream and, and they go out and build that dream and pretty soon it becomes self-sustaining or supporting or profitable uh, however you want you know put that term and uh, instead you know the modern concept of capitalism that's is that all those people that are making money they're mm-hmm. just selfish they're just out there pursuing the the, the the carnal desires of their hearts and they're buying yachts and all that stuff and you know what I found is that people that are in business, that are successful, and able to multiply finances, you know, they're they're the ones that know how to steward money. <laughs> they're the they're the ones that know how to take a dream and make it come true. Uh, and and I want to suggest that <laughs> that's spiritual. That the idea of multiplying money and using it to build your dream. Is a spiritual endeavor, and and I think that's the message behind Harold's four levels, is that, you know, we've got people that are, you know, can sit in church and put money in the offering plate, and we've got, you know, a a spiritual class that are, you know, intercessors and kind of spooky, and, um, you know, there's there's another (laughs) level.
1: Did you say kind of spooky?
2: Yeah. Okay. I did
1: all right. I just want to make sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, but, but there's another level that uh, you know where where we engage in the kingdom, and you know, sort of as sons and daughters of God, you know, go out and you know create wealth and make dreams come true, and and naturally, um, you know. Expand the kingdom into areas of darkness and areas of need, and and solve things like poverty, and, and solve political issues, and solve medical issues, and uh, solve educational issues, solve family issues. You know, which use I mean Chicago and Detroit are popular examples, but uh, you know that that poverty lifestyle is a uh, is a prison. And when you think of Luke 4.18, you know, setting the captives free, it's not just preaching the gospel to them. I mean, the, the, the real gospel includes this this concept of uh, creating wealth and seeing dreams come true. It's life and life more abundantly. It's it's not just, you know, well your sins at the cross and go to church for the rest of your life. There's a there's a resurrection component in the gospel that's that's very exciting, and 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 it that's what allows us to engage with our hearts, and uh, and and that's when life becomes a lot of fun and and very fruitful. Am I making any sense?
1: Yeah, no, you make a lot of sense.
2: <laughs> so, you know, you you know how Frank is on the church a little bit i yeah. yeah I hear the you know the concept of uh you know the gospel <laughs> of how we how we share the gospel, and I think that, you know there's sort of like the herald's levels there's a gospel of salvation that's totally appropriate and uh I, we, I'm switching over to the news we we don't have to do that but
1: no i i want to i want to go back and talk about spooky though too um uh, and, and 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 I'm <laughs> And I don't want. And I don't want to talk. Also, we we can we can shift gears and move back and forth. And if it flows into the newsletter, let's do that. But I feel moved to go back and talk about for just a bit what this fellow had to say. And for those who haven't seen it, I'm going to find the link and I'm going to tell people where to find it again. And I'm going to share just a little bit. I'll make this story short about the company that I built that really functioned in a way. It, it should have been a charity in a lot of people's eyes, but we turned a charitable work, if you will, boy, this is tough to define, into a for-profit business, a very successful for-profit business. But let's roll right now. Let's let's roll into the newsletter, and then we'll roll back into that topic.
2: All right. We can do it either way, Glenn. No,
1: let's go. Let's let's let's, okay. let's roll into the newsletter.
2: Talk so when about. you think when, when you think about okay, how do I. How do I start thinking in, in terms of kingdom you know how do I you know the, where we're at is that uh, you know Jesus died on the cross that's how we get forgiven and we we get saved and we're on our way to heaven and we learn how to go church go to church and we learn how to worship and give and uh, you know support 501c3s and have a job in a stable family and everything's rosy, and I want to suggest that model eventually fails in in this regard, is that we, you know, the the message of that version of the gospel, which is very appropriate in the first months or years where where we're learning how to relate to the Lord, and that is, we're learning how to serve, we're learning how to obey, and the, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing to learn how to obey the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. <laughs> right. But practically, that translates to obeying the pastor. That and that would be Frank's emphasis. God bless Frank. Um, yeah. But I want to say that you know maturity isn't. Uh,
1: and and he, and he was a pastor. Uh, yes, uh, for
2: several years, correct? Started, started a church or two, if I recall the story correctly. And uh, but I want to suggest that that. Uh, You know, maturity is eventually finding a vision that really belongs to to us and beginning to pursue it instead of just, you know, being part of someone else's vision for all of our lives. Now, we can choose to do that, and it might be our vision, and it might be the same thing. So I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying, you know, before we go to heaven, hopefully before, you know, shortly after we get saved, you know, and, you know, semi-mature, and I don't think that has to take three decades, you know, I think it could take a a few years, you know, to really mature, but what if we made disciples, and and instead of just emphasizing, you know, the sort of gospel of salvation, and and just, uh, you know, sort of identifying the cross, what if we include the resurrection in the gospel, and... You know, that, that's sort of what they did in the book of Acts. I mean, what, what really got people excited about Jesus wasn't that he died on the cross. It's that he uh, rose th- again. Thousands of people died on the cross, but only yeah. one rose, rose, rose from the dead.
1: <laughs> and, 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 all, and almost all the world religions teach you to not steal, not kill, yeah. honor your mother and father. The thing that really separates Christianity from every other uh, belief system and religion is—you're absolutely right—the resurrection.
2: Yeah, and so my point is that uh, you know Christianity, in in large measure, you know our theology embraces the cross, but but we don't practically embrace you know resurrection. You know that, you know like Paul said, I, I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings you know we got that one and and the power of his resurrection um... so uh... so what does that sound like so in terms of if we talk about who we are as what's our identity and i even heard this on the prayer call this week you know we we identify ourselves as sinners who are constantly in need of forgiveness and you know it's sort of self depreciating and. The, the reality of who we are is, yeah, all that's true, but uh, the, the reality is thats is that we're more than conquerors. And, and as disciples, one of the things we need to learn how to do is to uh, use all the authority that we really have. And, and there's a ton of authority that gets left on the table. And uh, So, the, when you think of, you know, okay, I'm going to I've got this new use your brother for example, you know he would really identify in the beginning with how grateful he is for being saved. And Harold used this analogy. You probably heard it in your church service too. I, I, I kind of liked it. Is that you know I I changed diapers f- for four children, and uh, actually my wife changed most of them. To be perfectly honest, uh, <laughs> but we you know we raised them. And, you know, did things like paid for their college. We, uh, you know, after they didn't they didn't all go to college, but there were there were a few financial disasters on the way along the way, and we rescued them from that. And uh, so, you know, we did a lot to raise four children, and our children are grateful for what we did for them. But it's not like, whenever we get together, um, you know, we we have communion and we. You know, we remember all of those things. You know, I, I, as a father of those four children, I would, you know, I, you know, it's nice to be appreciated, and they've all expressed that. But I, every time I see them, I don't expect them to to tell me, "Oh man, Dad, I'm sure want to express how grateful I am for all those diapers you changed." Yeah,
1: and, and you don't throw it and you don't throw it up in their
2: face. Right. Right, so I'm, I'm really more interested in... And
1: not to say that there aren't those folks out there that have uh, mastered the art of the guilt trip.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Nine months I carried you on oh, yeah. my back, okay? Yeah. I, I appreciate that, Mom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the conversation so I, my mom, I really...
1: My mom has played the guilt card on me from time to time, but you're right, right. it's not a constant, ongoing
2: thing, thank God. So, <laughs> so the conversation I really want to have with them is... How's, how's life going, and where are you headed in the future? I mean, what's your dream? You know, what what do you want to do? And uh, that's the conversation that Father God wants to have with us. You know, it's nice that we're going to heaven. It's nice that he forgave our sins. But the conversation he really wants to have with us is, uh, okay, you're going to heaven. <clears throat> what, what do you want to do with your life? You know, it's like when he came to Solomon. He said in, a, in the dream what would you have me to do for you and servants don't think in those terms. Servants just think of okay God what do you want me to do for you but right. when you mature as a son you you have, you have eventually have the conversation where God comes to you God to do for you Dwayne and John and uh, we can answer that question you know that's that's the essence of becoming a king and, and becoming spiritually mature. And we've got to teach people that, to hear that. I mean, theologically, the Holy Spirit can ask it from dawn till dusk, but nobody can hear it because we think it's theologically inappropriate. <laughs> I can sense God's frustration. He comes to us uh,
1: to take us <clears throat> to the next level, to the mountain, to borrow a term, that He wants yeah. us to conquer. And... Instead of rising up and addressing the task at hand, we want to wallow in the filth and the muck and the mire and God says, Come on, I got I got great plans for you. I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans yeah. and we're just there going, Oh, I'm not worthy.
2: I'm and not we clothe it we clothe it in the language of the cross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. how we make it sound spiritual. Yeah. You know, we we uh, you know, we rehearse what crummy people we are in, in the in the uh, context of the cross and call it spiritual, <laughs> and, and write
1: songs you know, uh, in the shadow of the cross and all that, yeah.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know nobody's particularly impressed with that, you know, outside the community of the church. Yeah. okay.
1: No, great. I'm glad. Well, yeah. In fact, you know, the the world looks at it as like, oh, wait a minute, you guys hang an emblem of torture around your neck,
2: really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's how you celebrate your your thing, yeah. okay? Uh, yeah. I got nothing against the cross, guys. I love the cross. I'm thankful for the cross. Uh, yes. Yeah. In fact, I bought a splinter off the internet for nine ninety nine. What a deal! No. <laughs> by the way, guys, just in case, don't fall for that.
2: <laughs>
1: don't buy the splinter. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: So, when you, when you think about expectations, and by the way, this is all. Uh, the stuff we're talking about right here is in a newsletter dated uh, July 28th on the Releasing Kings blog site. So you can look it up and read about it. I,
1: I put the link in the chat box, guys. It's in the chat box if you want to click on that and bookmark it so that you can read it later. Yeah.
2: So when you think about expectations, we need to teach you know newly saved disciples to be content in whatsoever state they're in. Okay, Contentment's an important part of it. But there mm-hmm. comes a time when we... Philippians 4.11, contentment, yeah, they, right. The flip side of that coin, uh, from a maturity standpoint, is we need to teach uh, new believers to contend, to to dream, to realize they can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when you think about it, you know, real contentment for for uh, you know a mature Christian, you know, Jesus also said, you know, the zeal of the Lord has consumed me. I mean, he was. He was not content to sit in that carpenter shop for all of his life. He he had a he had to be about his father's business. That's right. where he found real contentment, and that was not passive. It, it was it, you know it. Uh, he also said that you know he was causing uh, wars among brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, it was it was very active. It was, in fact, it was confrontive. He was tipping tables over in the temple and chasing scribes and Pharisees around and calling them names. You know, it was very politically yeah. incorrect language. Uh, it was anything but passive. Um, so no, think, he he was
1: a he was a man's man. He wasn't yeah. this uh this soft fellow with a lot of hair product, you know. Yeah.
2: He was um, Yeah. Yeah. So when we think of you know the category of how assertive should we be as Christians. And you know the language of the of the cross is we should surrender to Jesus we should lay down our life. Uh, and and, and you, the flip side of that coin is that in the kingdom, the the Father expects us to contend for our land and to be willing to fight for it in prayer,
1: warriors, and finances yes,
2: and to step out and believe for it, and to uh, you know to be aggressive about what He's called us to do. Uh, or, or the flip side of saying that is, what is it that is written in our hearts that we should be passionate about and and isn't it spiritual to spend ourselves to to obtain those things and and uh, you know not go to the go to heaven empty handed but you know be stewards of what he put in our hearts to to become and to do and uh you know, on, on the money category, you know, most of the emphasis in traditional Christianity is, you know, we should tithe, we should give, we should sacrificially support the quote-unquote ministry. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to suggest that we all come to a place of maturity where we are the ministry. And, you know, God's called us to learn how to create wealth and, and multiply it and be good stewards of it and turn, you know, one talent into two and two into five and, you uh, and to be, yeah, we should be generous, but we should do it from a cup that's overflowing, and uh, right, minister right. Out of abundance. And we should be able. We should be the ones that can teach other people how to do that. And that really is the answer to poverty. We we should, you know, instead of just going in with wheelbarrow loads of money and food and all that stuff, you know, not not the. You know, speaking down about those things, but the real thing that we should impart is to, you know, don't just give away the fish, teach them how to fish for themselves. Allow them to have, you know, some integrity in their own lives, some, some self-satisfaction in the work they can do. And to do that, you got to teach people how to work, how to be entrepreneurial and how to create wealth and how to see their own dream come true. Yeah. Well, th- this, this company that
1: I, that God built through me. Um, we used to pause the wheels of industry every day for 30 minutes, and we had what we called God's time. It's where the whole company shut down. We didn't answer any phones. We gathered in a big room in a circle. We sat, 50 of us, and we would take turns, kind of like what we do in the mornings now, but we would take turns. Different ones would share a scripture and offer some prayer, and we would talk, and Uh, some days it was planned out and other days it was more of a free form kind of thing but what was important was that the wheels of industry ground to a for 30 minutes and it was God's time in whatever form it took that day and this was right after lunch and when the lunch ended the employees clocked back in and then we went to God's time now it doesn't – you don't have to be you know, uh, a, a mathematical scholar to figure out that with 50 employees sitting there for half an hour, that it was – there's, there's a bottom line involved, and, and, and it hit the bottom line, okay? And mm-hmm. so there was that, and, but that's not even my point. Um, it's part of it. We also uh, built a home for battered women and abused children, and we uh, built the orphanage, and we built a home for men recovering from alcohol and drugs. We were doing all of these things as a for-profit company, and one day I was being counseled (laughs) by a mature Christian, and he said, you know, there's one thing I want to caution you and advise you on, and I said, okay, what's that? He says, well, let me just ask you, are you tithing on your (laughs) company's profits? And I just looked at him and smiled, and uh, I said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I am. So, I mean, yeah. God was blessing us, so not only would we do it, but if I had just been doing those things, and I think that sort of aligns with, with the idea that you had of a business.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I could have just said, well, yeah, that that's my tie. That's how I'm giving back because... You know the company's paying for these people to be, you know, on the clock and yeah. doing all these other things, but because we were blessed, I still actually saw to it that's, you know, that a percentage went. But I, th- I, I but I think it would have been just fine with God if I had left yeah. it at that. If, if what yeah. we were doing and the way we were running the company and the way we ministered to people when, <laughs> when someone was in trouble, and needed help, yeah. you know, financial assistance, if they were uh, behind on their rent or getting evicted or there was sickness or right. the old car just wouldn't go anymore. Uh, the company had a fund and we would loan out of that fund interest-free, okay, no usury, interest-free. We certainly expected it to be paid back and it would be deducted. We would arrive at some payment plan that the yeah. employee could afford and each week, it would just be deducted out of their paycheck with all the other deductions, you know, with the taxes and the this and the Social Security. And over the course of 13 years, I probably loaned out and got back somewhere interest-free, somewhere between 500000 you know, and a million dollars, really? I guess. Really? <laughs> and, yeah, and got it back. That's the miracle for it and got it back. I mean, of course, there were some that, you know, left the company, owing me money or whatever, but that was... I knew that going in. I went in with my eyes wide open. uh, But to be able to do that... uh, Now, there's talk right now in England. I, I was reading this article on the radio show the other day. They have a company called Wonka. I think it is in England, but they're a huge payday lender. And apparently, these folks are... More insidious than the payday lenders here in America, the annualized rate that they charge, I think, is like $2,500, or 2,500%.
2: 2,
1: I'll Google it up here in a minute. It's just, it's it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, now, what this, the Archbishop of Canterbury, I believe, is the one. I'm going to Google this in a minute while you're talking and see if I got my facts straight. He is, has a move about that the local churches are going to start, and this is part of the Church of England, so to mm-hmm. get the denomination straight here, this is the Church of England, that the local parishes, if that's what they're called, and I believe it is, are going to start functioning as credit unions. When a member of that parish or that congregation mm-hmm. has a need, an emergency, they'll go before before like some kind of board of their peers, they're in the church, and, and that board will hear the need, okay, and then they'll make an agreement, okay, this falls under our guidelines. And then the church will make a loan to this person or to this family, and some, there'll be some agreed upon repayment plan to get the folks out of the clutches of the payday lender. And I read that and I thought, you know, this is, I think this is maybe how God intended for uh, the church to function from the beginning. I really do. Now, an unfortunate side note to this whole story is the Archbishop of Canterbury, or I'm going to look it up. He just found out that the Church, the Church of England, in their investment portfolio, they own some big percentage through a series of funds. It's not like direct ownership. Yeah, my turnabout, they they own a, a pretty good chunk of this Wonga payday lender that they're trying to put out of business. So yeah. he said, I just can't tell you how embarrassed I am, and I'm going to try to figure this thing out.
2: So. <laughs> well, the flip side of it is, you know, what if what if uh, as a company, just like you were doing, you know, we we treated employees in terms of, you know, what's your heart's desire. You know, how can we shape this job or what can we do in your life to make your dream come true? And like you're, you're supporting them with uh, financial loans, that, that's a great way. But what if our, you know, what if our concept of HR was, you know, human resources, well, mm-hmm. you know, took that into account <clears throat> instead of just, uh, you know, all the mundane stuff they do now. Uh, I mean, they will, you know, if you have a drug problem, they'll, they'll, uh, take a run at drug counseling before they fire you. But that's the same. Some, of, as far them, as it some goes. of them will, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, you know, what if for, what if for all the healthy people that don't have drug or substance abuse problems, what if we ask them, you know, what, uh, what is a company what, how could we make your job more in concert with your own heart's desires you know how can we with you know within the confines of what our company mission is how can we make your job a better fit so that you know you could sort of make a connection between the will of god and and what you do for this company and, and sort of get connected from a heart standpoint and what if instead of you know, what if we count? You know, what's CFRN. You're teaching people how to create wealth. My point is that that's spiritual, and that every penny you spend doing that is, to me, better than a tithe. That that's a better investment than uh, putting money in an offering plate, because uh, people are learning how to create wealth and see their dreams come true. And my hunch is that when when people learn how to create wealth, they will use it for ministry. Sure, some people are going to buy a yacht or two, but uh, I think most people, uh, you know, God's put it in their hearts to to do something really generous and worthwhile with the resources He gives them. That's my read on uh, you know your average Christian. <laughs> but, well, you know,
1: I, I I believe you're right because when my when my life got turned around at 37. And I had been working, been in sales all of my life, and had been in business, and uh, from all outer appearances, had done well. And but inside, it was kind of a you know horrific uh, mess. But on the surface, on the outside, it looked pretty good. But when I got my life turned around, and when God really gifted me with the vision for the company that I ended up building. During all of my years of riotous living, I had never forgotten the God of my grandmother. I still prayed. I still called out to God in times of need. Uh, I mean, I had a foul mouth and did all kinds of horrible things, but I still, God was still very much a part of my life. I know that kind of sounds odd, but it's true. And so when I started this company, I did not have the, I didn't do it with the plan that I'm going to be this big philanthropic guy, okay? Because I started this business off of my kitchen table with a $2,000 capital infusion from my wife. She had it shoved up under the mattress. Uh, we had lost all of our homes, all of our cars. We literally had lost it all. We were the rags-to-riches, back-to-rags story. Mm-hmm. And our, our marriage was on the rocks. She had, after 13 years, she had left. You know, I had it with you. And so I buckled down and just, I, the only person left to turn to was God. And so I turned to him and, and I just said, you know, please help me make something out of my life. And he came along beside of me, took me up on the offer, and he did And this business, uh, because I came with a broken and contrite spirit, I guess. I don't have much other explanation. It seemed as though everything I put my hand to suddenly worked. Now, this was after a life of struggle where I worked, worked, worked really, really hard, but always just barely made it, you know. My my pockets had these eternal holes in them. It didn't matter how much money I made, there was never quite enough, and yeah. and so forth and so on. But when I when I made this this turnabout, money actually started to pile up, and it kind of snuck up on me. And I looked around one day, and it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I was working every day, and things were going well, and and we were building the company, and and I just realized that I, I was a guy who had always made a lot of money, but never had a lot of money.
2: Yeah.
1: And all of a sudden, I actually had some money. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I had a lot. I wasn't rich or anything, but I had some money, and it wasn't and it wasn't going anywhere. It was mm-hmm. actually it was actually sitting there, and that's when God really began to speak to me, and I started to give away this money and put it to work for the kingdom. When I started this business, I never had any dream or fantasy that I was going to build an orphanage or that I was going to have 50 employees going to God's time, you know, on the cl- I didn't I didn't orchestrate all of that. God pieced it together one little bit at a time. But the day that I realized that I could go into the church. I had started to go to church again. And um, when I was able to go into the church and to write a check that was... I was was giving a check that was more than than most of the checks I'd ever made in my life. I was now able to give that away on a Sunday. I was so humbled by that that I just... I wept like a baby every time I would bring out my checkbook and... (laughs) my wife used to laugh at me it really kills you to part with that money doesn't it I'm like no get away you know that's not why I'm crying I was crying because I had it to give and I would stay awake nights figuring out how to make more not so I could I didn't need anything I had everything I needed I had a roof over my head and a car to drive and some food to eat and I realized that a person can only live you know in one house not that there's anything wrong with having a second home and You can only drive one car at a time. Nothing wrong with having two cars. But I I just, that that hole in me that could never get filled up before, that more, more, more me, me, me mentality, that was gone. I was just so content. If I had a new pair of 501s and some Reebok tennis shoes, my wife used to laugh because I had this uniform that I wore, as she called it. It was my turnaround uniform, Levi 501s, a pair of white classic court Reeboks, and a Ralph Lauren polo, button down, long sleeve, white shirt. That's all I ever wore for years. And it was people used to talk about it and laugh about it. And then that did look kind of sharp. But anyway. <laughs> I just didn't need anything else. And so the harder I could work and the more people I could employ and the and the more I could make, the more good I could do, the more I could be a blessing to God and to the kingdom. And I love, love, love to be the man behind the curtain. I did not want my name out there. I didn't want people thanking me publicly for doing or donating or giving. I got this incredible pleasure from just knowing in my heart. It was like this little secret between me and God that I was able because God had done for me all my life. He had pulled my bacon out of the fire so many times. And now finally I get an opportunity to do something for him. Wow. Oh man, I want I want everybody who loves God to have a piece of what I had, and still have. Yeah. I, I I want I want you to know that, and experience. I know you're no good. I know you're not worthy. I know you don't deserve it. Yeah, all right. Rise up, put those filthy rags on the shelf for a day, and just walk in the anointing that God brings. Let that time on the cross. Really count for something, you know. Yes, it yeah. buys you eternity. Yes, it's forgiveness of sins, but but wait, there's more, you know, like yeah. that late night commercial. But wait, yeah. there's more. You yeah. know, for for the same price, we're going to send you <laughs> three of these things. For just one cross, <laughs> you're going to get, you know.
2: <laughs> I really I really like this verse in John uh, ten. It's verse 17 and 18. It says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. And that's where it stops, you know, for you know the gospel of salvation. We all should lay down our lives. But the very next phrase says, Only to take it up again. And then in 18 he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is... The command I received from my father, and you know, Christian maturity is this—the resurrection half of the equation. It's learning to take up our lives, to uh, to go make something out of them, to to go do, to to make that dream come true, and and build the kingdom. It's a lot of fun. It's tremendously rewarding.
1: It is. It is. Uh, now this this scripture. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. There's that scripture: "No, uh, there's no greater love than a man would lay down his life for another." Right? That's how yep. that goes. Yeah. Now, I know that for a, mm-hmm. a large part of my life, because I did have the upbringing of going to church before my riotous living of decades, but mm-hmm. I went to church and I knew I knew the Bible pretty well. Uh and when I spent time in solitary in the brig, uh, that's all they let you read is the Bible. So I got pretty well <laughs> versed during that little period of my life. Um, I kind of always thought that scripture meant that, you know, well, you're willing to take a bullet for somebody. No yeah. greater love as a man than he would lay down his life you know, for someone else, for his brother. Uh, but I came to the realization later in life that that also meant you would – if somebody called me from across town and I would, I'd just gotten home and I was a little bit tired and i just got in the Lazy Boy and i just put my feet up and i just put my favorite TV show on, some brother would call me from across town and tell me about how his car broke down, he had a flat tire and didn't have any money, didn't have any AAA And it was 118 degrees outside. And could I please come and help him in rush hour traffic? (sighs) Oh, man, your mind just spins out a couple of really great (laughs) reasons why you can't do that right now. But I realized that what God was calling me to do was to lay down the remote, (laughs) put down the, the lazy boy, rise up out of that chair, and go help my brother to lay down my life, that took on a whole new meaning for me. Yeah. And 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 that's hard. I mean, taking the mm-hmm. bullet, I mean, that's sort of hero thing, and you only have yeah. to do that once, right? Yeah. The, the Going out in the right. heat and going to help the guy with the flat tire, oh Lord, you're going to... Once that guy knows you'll come when he calls, he's yeah. going to call you all the time and yeah. for everything. So you're really opening a door there, but that's okay. Um, it becomes a revolving door in some cases, yeah. but yeah, so and you learn to love that.
2: Yeah, and but the the other side of it is, you know, you know, put yourself a, as a you know the manager of a company. there is some satisfaction in, in a well run company with happy employees. Oh, there's yeah. satisfaction in having a, a trading business where people learn how to make money, and and see their dreams come true. I mean, there's a there's a side. I mean you're describing something that you didn't enjoy doing, but there's also a resurrected half of that equation of the the, the sheer joy of doing exactly what you love and seeing that bless other people. Mm-hmm. That, that's the resurrected side of that same action.
1: So. Oh, yeah, because I realized that, that rather than sitting there feeling guilty after the yarn I spun about why I couldn't do it, that in fact when I rose up and went and did it, it always ended up presenting some wonderful opportunity uh, to yeah. witness, to, to do – it always – God always worked it out for my good. Yeah. you know. Every time I was willing to lay down myself as this scripture that you just shared, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I don't know. I'm not sure if I fully understand the, the take it up again part. Can you enlighten me there? What, what's your take on that?
2: I just think that um, you know the the we've had this gospel where the glass is half full, and our concept of doing the will of God was always out of sacrifice. You know, the will of God. I want to do this, but the will of God wants to is this over here, and they're two separate things. So I've got to learn to stop doing what I want to do and go sacrificially do what God wants me to do. And I'm just suggesting that when we really connect with the desires of our heart that are also in God's heart, then our ministry and our vocation and, and eventually our checkbook all all start to become doing what we naturally enjoy, what we are naturally created for. And you know, to me, you're, you're already there. I mean, something's keeping you up till midnight or two uh, every you know five nights a week, yeah, and yeah. and something yeah, right, causes man. you to roll out of the sack about five thirty or six, <laughs> and and Most do days. it every day. And uh, you know the number of hours you're you're on the radio or on these webinars per day to me is astounding. Now, I don't know what what God has put in you or what causes you to do that, but I would rather go. You know, fix a pick up a guy in 120 degrees heat once then than do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, well, I all
1: I can say is well, the the other company before CFRN, the other company, I worked 60, 80 hour weeks, but it never really, I mean, it was work, but it never really seemed like work.
2: And to me, and that's that's the message that that you send, just by your personality the way you, you know, the conversations you and Michael have on the calls is that you enjoy this.
1: Oh man, because I know I'm doing the will of the father yeah. and, and, it's and, a just, and, it's and it's a business. A, it's, I used to say it to my pastor, and my mentor, uh, Coney, who's now since retired, and moved to Africa to really follow his heart and his passion in his quote unquote, golden years. What would I, Coney, if you're listening to this, man, I love you so much. You've been, been such a blessing in my life. Uh, when we would sit and he would come and counsel with me, because um, he'd been a Christian most of his life and been a pastor in many different places, and and he had put his minute, he was preaching, he he was pastoring a church, but he was also he had taken on a job for the city, because God had given him the skill and talent of being a like a master builder, and a concrete mm-hmm. finisher. And he realized that his church was not going to be able to provide him with the type of retirement that he and his wife wanted to enjoy. So he went and got a job with the city of Phoenix and did that gig for 20 years just so that he could save up the money and have the retirement to do what he's doing now, and that's to live in Africa. And him and his wife have a house full of 15 ex glue sniffing uh orphans yeah oh and they're so happy but anyway coney would come and he would sit and he would counsel with me and and i remember telling him i, I was like pastor it just doesn't seem fair and he's like what do you mean it doesn't it yeah. doesn't seem fair i said look at me i'm a knucklehead i'm making all of this money I'm having the time of my life. People's lives are getting changed. People are being saved. Yeah. People are becoming the husbands and fathers that God created them to be. And, and the wives and the, I go, this, it's like, I keep pinching, I'm black and blue. I keep pinching myself <laughs> to make sure this thing, he says, Wayne, that's the anointing. Yeah. The anointing of God is upon you and upon your life. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed. Enjoy it. He says, and now you watch. You watch. People are going to want to come and and hang around with you and just be around you because you've got such an anointing on you, it's going to spill over. The, The cup runneth over kind of thing. Yeah. It's like people, I, and I, I've known people like that in my life. I want to be in the room with them because they got such a great anointing that I know some of that's going to spill over. Yeah. And it's hard to think of myself in those terms. So I don't think of myself. I just think of it as the grace and the goodness of God. It is a good pleasure to work through me and, and for me to once not be such a knucklehead and to just allow him to do it, you know?
2: Yeah, and that, that is the gospel. You know, when you get the resurrection half of the message on the plate, then the invitation we're giving people is please come and join the kingdom of God. Your dream can come true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you've got to sort out a few sin issues, but that's not the primary message of the gospel. It's good news. <laughs> You're
1: forgiven. Let's it's get busy. The,
2: yeah, it's about resurrection life. And, uh, you know, you, w- the other verse that we read half of, you know, is that it's in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. And we stop right there. Uh, and we say, so that no one can boast. Okay, that's mm-hmm. verse uh, 8 and 9. Okay. And, and we stop right there and said, for by grace you've been saved, isn't all the works you could do don't matter a bit. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, so that no one can boast. Right. We get that, but uh, in spades, in the you know the cross version of the gospel. I, the I'm dimension.
1: reading. I'm reading the second part here that you put in the chat box, and I'm getting excited just reading it because yeah. that's that's and awesome.
2: Verse ten is for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for right. us to do. And the reality is that when we invite someone to Christ, we're inviting them into their destiny. That they're going to find something that they were created to do and that they're naturally passionate about. And you can't, there's nothing that you can imagine in your carnal appetites that's better than that. This is is like the, the frosting. (laughs) <laughs> it's not, you know, to portray Christianity as this. Oh, it's a big sacrifice. I'm shackled by a heavy burden. You know, it's,
0: hmm. you know,
2: it, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and and it's fun. It's like being. I'm, I've been invited to a dinner party, and uh, it's, you know, and when you, I think I shared this story before, but we were in Warsaw doing a conference, and and it took me about two or three months to recover from this, but we were doing a business conference, and we just we were talking about the kingdom. We didn't know who we were talking to, uh, you know, about 150 people or so. They had invited 30 people that were businessmen, and this wasn't, you know, like a really wealthy church, but the right. businessmen that they had invited, businessmen and women, were, you know, like the next level of social strata up. <laughs> they, they did have some, you know, significant business things going on. And uh, so we just said, you know, God's, not knowing who we're talking to, we just said God is inviting people in the business word, world to be part of the kingdom. That w- what he wants to do in the city of Warsaw, part of it needs to come through businesses in Warsaw. And he's inviting you to, to be a part of it. It, you know what happened they, they jumped on it we, we didn't talk about you know uh, laying everything at the foot of the cross and all that we just invited them to the party and they said yes <laughs> and got saved And you know the same thing the same dynamic happens when you talk to people about their dream you touch something of the Spirit of God in them whether they're saved or not saved you, you touch the resurrection part of the gospel uh, when you do that.
1: I You know, I, that, that that little piece of scripture just jumped out at me for we are God's handiwork.
2: Uh, yeah, if you treat my, people... My,
1: pre, my, pre, my, my previous company, I never even thought of this before. I've read that scripture before. My co- the company was called Handy Net H-A-N-D-I-N-E-T. Yeah. Handinet so when you,
2: when you treat people handiwork. as though they are God's handiwork, which is absolutely true, they're oh. created in God's image, instead of treat, treating them like they're filthy rags and desperate sinners uh, you know some of both is true but the the thing that see once we get forgiven we're cleansed and those sins are forgotten by god we like to remember them and rehearse them you know all the time but we should really forget them the same as he does and focus on the fact that we're god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works and we should talk about What the what those works are, what the desires of the heart is, and 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 we should treat one another like we're God's handiwork because that's the truth of the good news. Yeah, that's the real truth. We don't need to say, "Oh man, it wasn't for the cross," you know. I'm just a worthless bum. Yeah, (laughs) that's not the testimony that you know the Father really delights in.
1: Well, now. I used to go once when I once I started that company and, and things began to go well. Number one, no, no. I think we got a we we just had a hitch in our stream, but can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Can you hear, okay. There was a sound there, like a shower for a minute. Uh, anyway. No company – the reason I had to build that company off my wife's uh, $2,000 cash infusion is because no company would loan us money. If obviously, our credit was destroyed. We lost the houses, the cars. We had diddly. I mean, <laughs> we had diddly. Anyway, uh, but then once things began to grow and, and, and the business had money in the bank and there was payroll and whatnot, I would have to go to these various meetings at the bank and do different things, and we – We never had to borrow money as a company because we were self-supporting. And guys, that's a real measuring right there of a healthy ministry. I want you to hear me, and I want – please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. If you are curious if your ministry is healthy, is it self-supporting? Now, now, by self-supporting, I don't, I don't mean that you got to have a factory with widgets, but if you, let's say, uh, let's say you're a church plant, okay, and you got planted, I don't know, some number of years ago. I don't want to put a timetable on somebody, and then somebody goes, "Oh man, I didn't quite make the cut, so I'm not worthy." Here we go again. But if a, if you're a church plant, and some mother church, mother church sponsors you and, and plants you, at some point. Your church should be able to, from its own congregation and in its own offering plate, support what you're doing there under that roof. In fact, you should reach a point where you're now sending money back to the mothership. I guess that's the way that whole thing works because I've never been a part of an official denomination, and I don't mean to speak loosely or or, or hurt anyone's feelings or sound sacrilegious or anything, but – do you, understand, do you know where I'm going? Bill me out here. I'm talking about a, a ministry being healthy because it's self-supporting. Help me. I yeah, know I that's
2: the, biblical. The, the missions model that we have is that my dream is more important than yours. Please write a check. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All
1: right. Well, so as I would go into these meetings with the bankers and the different things, whatever, we're, like well, maybe we're trying to set up health insurance for our employees, And we had a really a motley crew, let me tell you. And I was and I was the king of the motley crew, so Mm -hmm. I can say that about about my Mm -hmm. beloved. And I always somehow felt it necessary to tell my story, you know. And the more important the people I was sitting in front of, like oh I don't know the mayor of Phoenix, (laughs) I had to somehow tell him that you know well just three years ago I was out there eating out of garbage cans and homeless, lost it all. Look what God has done with me. And and then I would whip out my checkbook and write you know a check or whatever the situation called for. And looking back, because I had one friend in particular that was, was a great mentor. Uh, he passed last year, and oh, God, I miss him. Uh, but he used to say, you know, Dwayne, you don't always have to tell that story. <laughs> and I don't tell it. I don't. I don't tell it too often anymore. And at the time, it just felt like it was such a I, – I felt compelled that somehow I had to – it was It was almost as if I was trying to justify my worth and value to sit at the table with them because yeah. I knew I didn't earn that spot by birthright. Yeah. But that it was by a dispensation of grace from God that had brought me from that garbage can to that table to sit with the mayor or whoever it might be. Yeah. And so, again, I don't know if it's right or wrong that I felt compelled to to say it, but I did. I know I know it's sure it embarrassed my because he was he was the CEO of a couple public companies yeah. and sat on a lot of boards, and I think I kind of embarrassed him on an occasion or two uh, because he never. He he didn't live a perfect life. I mean he had a couple of yeah. dalliances early on in his marriage and you know, I think he liked to drink a little bit and so he was a per but he never he never spun out the way I did. Right. And and so his life had kind of been on a pretty much an even keel, but he had become one of the mythical Phoenix forty and yeah. just highly respected in the community and and I know my story embarrassed him on occasion, or two. So, Larry, I, I'm sorry for every time, but I just I just felt so passionate about what God had. Because what the message I was trying to get across to the mayor or the banker or whoever it was was that, hey, God can use you, too. Yeah. Because I knew they had a checkbook, right? I wasn't asking them for their money. I just wanted them yeah. to know that God could use them and would use them if they would just lay down their life. Yeah. So I want to talk for a minute. I want to back up here to that uh, TED Talk video. Guys, if you're not familiar with TED Talk, T-E-D, second word talk, they do these little talks somewhere in California. I think maybe it's Mountain View. Maybe they're associated with one of the universities like UCLA. I, I don't really know, but I listen to them periodically when somebody sends me a link and says, hey, this is a really good TED Talk. And it's usually some really smart people talking about some very innovative concepts and ideas. There's a very popular one right now that, uh, hey, John, if I sent you, well, you know what, guys? Uh, on the CFRN or on, the, on our Facebook page, I'll put the, I already put the link on our Facebook page. You know what? I'll send you the link, John, and if you have some way of distributing it that you want to, then that's okay. fine, and and I'll do my best to distribute it to And anybody, if you're listening to this call and you don't know how to get that link because it's so clumsy to give out something that long over the air, uh, just send me an email, uh, support at CFRN.net, or get a hold of John, and, and he'll get you the link. But this fellow, uh, in the first couple minutes, he's going to say something that will put most Christians on tilt, get past that. That's for another discussion. And hear what he has to say about charitable giving and how we deal with it and think about it as a society. Now, here I am, a guy who sits on the uh, on the board of two 501c3s here in America. Forget the, 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 the private corporations. I'm talking about 501c3 public uh, charities. I sit on those boards, and I'm on the board founding director of, a, of an NCO, a non charitable organi- or, uh, NGO, non governmental organization in Africa. That's sort of their equivalent of a 501c3. So, but yet, I still had this mindset up until just recently that if they had a lot of overhead, if this charity, if they had a lot of overhead, they were wasting my money. And I would tell people, hey, our orphanage, you know, there's that one group on TV where Sally Struthers cries and they ask you for money and did you know that out of that 20 bucks you send that only about 2 bucks makes it to the kid? Well, if you give to our orphanage, well that $20 that you send because of all of our labor here in the US is volunteer. The entire 20 bucks makes it to the kid. Now, I'm just being honest. I, I, that's That was... My pitch and I don't really have a pitch because I don't ask people for money for the orphanage. people just come mm. to me and put money in my hand they hear about it and they come. I don't I don't have a pitch. I don't go around and do speaking engagements or any of that stuff. God's just always somehow provided. but it, I could see in hindsight the error of my ways. this fellow opened opened my eyes. Now I do believe there can be waste as there just as there can be waste in private companies. There can be waste in public charities. But one of the examples he uses, guys, and you'll hear this in the video, and I don't want to mess it up, but let me just give you the idea to make you want to listen. He says that they this organization that he was a part of, they raised, I believe it was five hundred million for breast cancer research. Is that right, John? I think so. Was it five hundred million? Okay. Now, one of the ways that they did this was they had these runs. And, and you've probably seen them, folks, out in the audience. You've been in them, participated. You get, you run a marathon or you walk and you get sponsors and they agree to give so much per mile. And, and it's a great way. I mean, you get exercise, you get out, you talk to people, you're moving around, and you raise money for charity. That's a win-win-win situation. Well, the way they got people to sign up for these races and these walks was they took out full-page ads Full-page ads in the New York Times, the L.A. Times, and some other high-profile newspapers, big city newspapers. Now, you you can probably guess that a full-page ad in the New York Times, not cheap, big bucks. And he was taken to task and really hung out to dry and literally crucified because of the money that he signed off on being spent for these full-page ads. Now, at the end of the day that year they raised 500 million dollars for breast cancer research. And if, and if I get one of these numbers wrong, forgive me, I'm just doing it from memory. 500 million. But yet he was crucified in because of the money he spent to raise that money and he's no longer the on that or, part of that organization I don't believe. But he he, he posed this question. He says, "Now, I I agreed to take that route and spend that money to raise five. he goes, what if we had just put up a few flyers in some laundromats? How much money do you think we would have raised? And I just sat there and my jaw dropped. And I said, man, you are so right. And I'd always been the one to, you know, put down the big, you know, I would say – Well, you know, charities, you know, once they get so big, it's just this machine and you got to feed the machine every month. And I would use certain ministries uh, as examples, and I'll use her only because this is part of her testimony and her preaching. Joyce Myers, her ministry, that machine, it takes $7 million per month in donations from people to keep that machine alive and going. Now she talks about it so I can talk about it and I remember when I heard that I thought that's that's insane. I mean I got a few bills that I got to cover every month yeah. and, and, and I know what pressure you know my little peddling bit of bills puts on me. I couldn't even imagine waking up with a seven million dollar you know weight around my neck yeah. but she does and so and that's her choice and that's how she built it and, and, and that's fine. There's, But I know that in me, somewhere, somehow, there was a little bit of. A, I was judging her, and it's not my place to judge anybody. It really isn't. Uh, I need to. Dwayne needs to learn how to really stay out of the judgment seat. <laughs> but other charities, I would judge them because they had gotten so big, and I knew they had a lot of overhead, and you know, only X amount of dollars would. Somebody on the radio the other day, when I was talking about this, they typed in the chat box. Oh yeah, it's horrific when I hear st- when I give money and I find out that only 20% went to the bottom line. I'm furious. And I said, okay, which would you rather have? Would you rather have 20% of 500 million or 100% of 5 million? And his answer was, well, yeah, but it still aggravates me, and I don't think it's right. And, and I said, well, I used to think that way, too. So why doesn't it make it? Well, it just – and the just was because that's how we've been taught. That's how we were schooled. That's, the, that's how we were indoctrinated to believe. And so I'm always telling people, when people say, well, you know, blah, blah, and I'll go, is that what you believe? And they go, yes, it is. And I go, well, why do you believe that? <laughs> and then they get this kind of funny look on their face, this blank stare. And they go, huh? I go, why do you believe? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I just go, why do you believe that? And they go, I don't know. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. You just said with great passion, a little spittle got in my eye when you were saying it. You were so passionate. (laughs) You were telling me what you believe. Now you don't even know why you believe it? (laughs)
0: Well,
1: you know, I, I think my preacher used to say that or my grandmother said it or, you know. And I go, okay, do me a favor. Will you think about this for a few days, get out a legal pad and a pen and sit down and maybe see if you can come up with some reasons. I'm not saying you shouldn't believe that. And you got every right to believe it. But if you're going to believe it and be passionate about it, understand the reason why you believe it. And I've seen some people have some very eye-opening experiences and incredible, 180 degree change in what they believe. Just by simply saying, Why do you believe that? And that's what this fellow with the TED Talk did to me in regards to charitable giving. He took the, he took my belief and said, why do you believe that? And then he gave some very pertinent facts and figures that, I mean, we want the very best talent to come in. And the example he gave of the, of the CEO or the guy who could go to work, the MBA, he could go to work, make X amount of money, give half of it away, he would be considered a philanthropist and put on the board but yet the CEO who's actually running the company in the trenches every day could only get paid 50 grand and they're going to give him a hard time because he comes to work in a fancy car so you guys, I'm not doing this thing justice so please, if you've got 15 minutes to spare and you're a person, I'm not even talking about your tithes don't confuse the two uh, charitable gifts, donations above and beyond the tithe That's what this is about. This is about changing the world. Your tithe is about your local storehouse, keeping that uh, up and running and functioning and keeping the lights on there. It's outside of the tithe, at least, again, this is what I believe, and I think I know why I believe this. Uh, When you give, now you're, you're, you're into that realm of potentially changing the world and making the world a better place. And of course, when we give, we want it to be well-managed, well-spent. We want there to be stewardship and accountability, but we may have gotten it wrong. And so please listen with an open mind and an open heart to this fellow. Uh, And then then whatever you end up believing after that, at least now you know why. You'll know why you believe it, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. John, anything else you want to cover today? We've been at this for an hour and a half, so. Uh,
2: 30 more seconds.
1: Let's do it. I, I, time. I
2: think the next offering, you know, I, I get generosity in writing checks to other people or other 501c3s, but the offering I think the Lord most cherishes is to answer the question what do you want the Father to do for you? What is it that's in your heart? that represents your destiny and and are you willing to you know go after that and, and admit to yourself that it would be fun and rewarding and uh and uh you know join the party. Uh, that's the offering that uh, we're taking for this call.
1: <laughs> Amen. Put, put that, your heart. that's the that's the plate we're passing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's in your heart and uh, Why haven't you gone after it?
1: And and if you want some help and some guidance going after it, grab a copy of John's book, Releasing Kings. Go to his website, releasingkings.com. His contact information is there on the website, and he actually has a coaching program that will help you follow your dream and even figure out what your dream is releasingkings.com dot com. You praise out.
2: Amen, Father. We just uh, are grateful to be part of Your kingdom, and and Lord, we just uh, we just uh, thank You for this gospel, this the great news that You've given us, and we're asking Father for the church in America and around the world, Father, the Ecclesia, the call out ones, Your people, Father, You would just cause us to hear. The the jailbreak prospect of understanding that you've invited us to be your handiwork, you've invited us to be uh, we're created in your image. You've already got in mind the, the, these works that we can do, and uh, Father to to have the privilege to co-labor with you is such a thrill. And uh, Father, we just uh, we just invite the the United States father this country father nations around the world to take up this mantle and uh, father we just sense that this has uh, reformational uh, aspects to it and uh, father we just count it a privilege to be alive in this age and uh, father to have the opportunity to to work with you and build your kingdom father it's it's an everlasting kingdom that started like a mustard seed and it's growing into this mighty tree. And Father, you've allowed us to play a role. And, and we just say thank you, Father. Yes. In the name of Jesus. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus. God bless you, brother. I love you, man. And if thank I don't you, talk Jane. to you over the weekend, I'll, uh, I'll see you Monday morning, okay? Alright. Sounds good. Alright, buddy. Take care. Bye
2: bye.
0: You're listening to CFRN, a community of believers who trade for a living. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, call toll-free 1-866-928-3310 and we'll send you out a no-obligation information kit absolutely free, 866-928-3310.